mean, right? Celebration Sunday, it doesn't get any better than that. I'm so glad you guys are here with us today. If I haven't had an opportunity to meet you, my name is Stacy McLean. My husband, Chris, who's here on the front row, he and I have been calling Crosstown home for close to 20 years now, and um, I'm just excited to be with you. Pastor Paul and his wife, Susan, are in Georgia. Their middle daughter just had her baby, and they are there celebrating, and we are excited for him to be there. That's right, yeah, exciting, exciting. More grandbabies. They are gonna have a full house, I think, around the holidays. So, Um, But he asked if I would come and continue in this series, Certainty. We're in the middle of this series, Certainty, and I love this series for a couple of reasons. First of all, um, it's a series that where we're taking a look at the gospel of Luke. And I love anytime we're gonna study a book of the Bible, that's my jam, man. I love to study books of the Bible. But the thing that I love about Luke's gospel is he's very practical. If you don't know me, you will probably realize by the end of this that I'm very practical and I like things that are very practical and concrete. And that's what Luke's gospel does. I love at the beginning of Luke's gospel, he lets us know exactly why he wrote it down. Luke 1.4 says that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. Luke lays it out right there. This is the reason I'm writing this. So you may have certainty about what you've been taught. And I think For me personally, I had some certainty. I was raised in a church and I grew up knowing Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And I had certainty and my life was going pretty good. And then all of a sudden, March of 2020 hit and everything that was certain became very uncertain for me. And I think for a lot of us, I think a lot of us lost certainty and even the ability to think about the future. I don't know if that just happened to me or to you, but. Um, the rest of 2020 and even through 2021, sometimes I'm like, wait, are we already in 20? We're at the end of 2022, you guys. Isn't that crazy? But there were times when I had a hard time projecting the future, planning for the future because everything was changing and everything seemed uncertain. And so one of the reasons we're getting back to studying the gospel of Luke, where we're looking at the life of Jesus Christ is so that we can have certainty about the things that we have been taught about God's word. And so we're gonna continue in this series on certainty. And I think when we're thinking about looking forward to the future, we all want to have a good future. And a lot of us are planning and thinking about what that future looks like, no matter where you are in life, whether you're in high school or whether you've just retired, probably you're thinking about what does my future look like? And as we've been going through this series, we're learning that if we want to put our future in something, it needs to be something that we can put our hope and our future in that is reliable. We don't wanna put our hope or our future in something that changes, that's not reliable, that we can't place our confidence in. And so we have learned that God is reliable. Therefore, Jesus Christ is reliable, therefore, The gospel of Jesus Christ is reliable. We can trust God. If that is certain that he is reliable, then we can trust him. Easy peasy, right? We got nothing else to do. Just trust God. Don't you wish it was that easy? Don't you wish you could just be like, well, I trust him. I trust God. I can say it all day long, but do I really trust God? Am I really certain about the things of God? And I think 
For a lot of us, when life is good, as Pastor Paul likes to say, when your body budget and bliss is all in order, when all is well in the world, of course I trust God because actually I think I'm in control and everything's fine and there's really no area where I need to trust him because all is well in my life. So of course I trust God, I can trust God. But what happens when things aren't well? When things start going wrong in my life, when I start having problems in my life, you know where my mind turns? God, where are you? God, do you care about me? God, do you see what's happening? Do you, do, are you aware, God, of what's going on? I'm just honest. That's what usually happens to me. I become uncertain about God's care and concern for me personally. Like I know God loves the world and God cares about everybody, but when things in my world start going upside down, when things in my world get hard, when things in my world become difficult, one of my immediate thoughts is, do you even care about me, God? And if that's where you are today, if you came in thinking, do you even care about me, God? I want you to know you're in a safe place. God wants you to know, yes, he cares about you. And I hope by the end of this message today, you will not only hear that, but your heart will begin believing that he really is for you and he cares about you. If you find yourself in that place of wondering, does God even care? You're not alone. We're gonna be in Luke chapter eight. If you've got your Bibles, you're welcome to turn there or you can pull it out on your phone. It'll also be on the screen. But the disciples found themselves in a place where they began questioning, where they lost certainty. There are things in this story that we're gonna read that are certain. And there are things that lose their certainty in this story. And um, I wanna set it up for you a little bit. So the disciples have been with Jesus for a little bit here. They've been kind of doing ministry with him. They've been following him around and they have seen Jesus heal sick people. They've seen Jesus cast out demons. They've seen Jesus raise somebody from the dead. I mean, I'm just telling you, if I was hanging out with somebody and they were doing those things, I'd be like, okay, I'm pretty certain about this person. They saw all of these things. They saw Jesus performing miracles. But yet, when they hit a storm, when they hit a hard time, they immediately went to, do you really care about us? And I think that's so true for so many of us. So just know you're in good company. Uh, let's pick up in Luke chapter eight, verse 22. One day he got into the boat with the disciples and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake certainty. So they set out and as they sailed, he fell asleep and a windstorm came down on the lake and they were filling with water and they were in danger, certainty. And they went out and woke him saying, master, master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves and they ceased and there was a calm. And he said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid and they marveled saying to one another, who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water and they obey him? There are a lot of things that are certain in that story. Jesus with certainty said, let's get in the boat and go on to the other side. There was a certainty about which Jesus moved. It wasn't just by happenstance. It wasn't just, ah, maybe we'll do this, maybe we'll do that. When Jesus was on this earth, he moved with total certainty all the time. And he said to them, let's get in the boat and go to the other side. He was certain about where they were going. You may not be certain about your future, but Jesus is certain about your future. Jesus is certain about my future, even in the times when I don't see or understand. He is certain. 
He knows, especially if you are his child and you have given him, you have said, God, I believe that Jesus died and rose again and I have no life apart from you and now my life is in Christ. If you have made that declaration to him, you are his child and he is completely certain about your future. He knows where you are going. He has that. He understands that even when we don't. A windstorm came up. It came down upon the lake and it was pretty vicious and they were taking on water and their little boat was filling up with water and they thought they were dying. They were in real danger. That is a certainty. We know living in the low country that hurricanes cause real danger. I mean, our church is proof of that. We've flooded because a hurricane hit Charleston and it flooded our church. There's real danger that can come from real storms that happen. That's a certainty in life. But even in that, God is with you. God is with me. I think some of us are feeling like we're in dangerous situations. Some of us feel like we're facing very uncertain futures for multitude of reasons. Maybe you're facing an uncertain future because you don't know where your marriage is headed. Maybe you're facing an uncertain future because you don't know where you're gonna go to college. Maybe you're facing an uncertain future because you don't know who your spouse is gonna be. Maybe you don't know what your career change is going to be. There are a lot of things that can cause us to be in hard places. Maybe the uncertainty is in your own heart. Maybe it's something God's telling you and you just don't want to acknowledge that he's asking you to go in a different direction than where you are or where you want to go. There are a lot of things that cause uncertainty. But my hope today is that we will begin to learn, to learn how to put our trust in God and be certain of that. See, I wish I could teach you, tell you that I'm gonna teach you today how to learn to trust God. It doesn't work that easily. If it did, we would do it. And some of you think when you hear me say, well, you just have to trust God, that that just means all fear and anxiety are gone completely right there and you don't have to deal with it anymore and you just keep getting up every morning and doing what you're supposed to do. No, That's why it's a process of learning how to learn to trust him. And it's an ever ongoing process. And so my hope today is by digging into God's word, hearing his promises, seeing what is true about him, we will begin this process of learning how to learn to trust God in uncertain situations. Because you may be in an uncertain situation today that gets resolved tomorrow with certainty and you go, praise God, he did it. And then you may find yourself in three months from now in a totally different uncertain situation. You're gonna have to repeat that process of learning how to trust God. But I think for so many of us out of this story, the only thing that a lot of times it happens to us in the middle of a storm is, so Jesus says to him with certainty, let's get in the boat, go to the other side. What's the first thing Jesus does? He falls asleep. And you're like, come on, Jesus, did you seriously fall asleep? Y'all, give him a break. He'd been healing people, raising people from the dead and doing miracles. He was in a physical body. He was tired. So he just went to sleep. You know why Jesus could go to sleep knowing where they were going and what they were headed into? Because he is certain about his father, God. He knows that God holds his future. He knows God has good for him. And so you know what he did when he knew a storm was coming? He rested. (laughs) He went to sleep. Any of us gonna do that? They tell us today that a hurricane is coming in three days. Are we all just gonna go home and take a nap? 
No, we're gonna prepare for it. But Jesus is so confident and so certain that he fell asleep. But you know what? I think for us, when we look at that story, the one thing I see is I am certain that Jesus is asleep on the job when I am facing a hard time. That's where my certainty lies sometimes and that's not okay, but that's how I feel. I hope I'm not alone in that. Maybe you felt that too, that you've been facing a difficult situation and you feel like God's asleep. You feel like you've prayed, you've read your Bible, you've sought counsel, you've been asking God and over and over again, you just think he's asleep on the job and he's not doing what he's supposed to be doing. We have to challenge that thought today. We have to challenge whether or not we really think God cares about us. Because when we think he isn't intervening on our behalf, when we think, where are you, God? What we're really saying is, I don't really believe you're good. I don't really believe you have good intentions for me. That's what we really are challenging is the goodness of God. I think that word good has lost a little bit of its meaning too because you know you see like do you want best quality, better quality or good quality? It's not that kind of good. When we talk about biblically God being good, Jesus being good, it means without any fault, pure and righteous and holy and blameless and perfect. That's who he is, that is his nature. He is good and he has good in store for us. He can be nothing other than good, but life's hardships, life's storms, life's challenges cause us to question whether or not God is good and whether or not he has good in store for me. So when you're saying, God, do you care about me? You're really saying, God, are you good? And I, wanna, I want you to know you're not alone in that either. People all throughout scripture have questioned that with God. And I want you to understand what God tells them. He is with them and he's never gonna leave them because he is a good God and he has good in store for them. When Moses was coming to the end of his life, he called Joshua and he said, Joshua, you're gonna go into the promised land. God has promised his people that he is gonna give them this land and Joshua, you're gonna take them into that land. Well, Joshua had to fight the people that were in the land. Joshua had a battle that was coming, lots of battles actually, that were coming his way. And Moses said to Joshua, this is what God wants you to know. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Deuteronomy 31.8 is where, jo where Moses is telling Joshua this. I'm never gonna leave you and I'm never gonna forsake you. And I think Moses was telling Joshua that because he knew the hard times that Joshua was about to face. He knew the difficulties that were gonna come Joshua's way and he needed to remind him what God was saying to him. And then the author of Hebrews in Hebrews 13, five, the author of Hebrews reminds his readers at the end of his letter, he says, hey, listen, just remember what God said. I am never going to leave you. I will not fail you and I will not forsake you. That word, I will not fail you. You know what that really translates? I'm not gonna let you sink. I'm not gonna let you drown. He's not gonna let you drown. Some of you don't believe that because you really believe that you barely made it here today and that you are drowning. That is not the truth. 
If you are his, he says, I am never going to let go of you. I'm never gonna let you drown. Hebrews 13, five is one of my favorite verses, especially when I read it in the amplified version because it gives you all these extra words to explain what it's really saying. It's very verbose. If you haven't met me, I'm a very verbose person. I like to talk a lot and I like lots of words to explain the same thing because it makes me understand. Ted and I were in the booth earlier today and he used a word, I don't even remember what it was, But I was like, Ted, that's a great word. Let's talk about that word and all the meanings of that word. So in Hebrews 13, five, if you read it in the Amplified, he says, I will never release my grip on you, assuredly not. Never release my grip on you. I will not let you sink. I will not let go of you. You can wiggle, you can squirm, and you can try to run. But if you are mine, I will never let go of you. I will take good care of you you. Have you ever tried to hold a toddler in your hand? I mean, honestly, have you ever tried to hold a toddler and they have just learned how to walk and all they want to do is get down out of your arms and take off running and you are squeezing them like, no, I'm going to hold on to you because you know what's best for them. You know, if you're standing in a parking lot, your two and a half year old should not be able to get out and run. So many of us are like toddlers in the hands of God and we are squirming and trying and he goes, oh no, I will never release my grip on you. Even when you don't understand the danger that's facing you, I do and I know what is good for you and I have good in store for you. David says it this way in the book of Psalms, Psalm 27, five, he says, he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. So when is he gonna hide me in his shelter? In my day of trouble, that's when I need to be hidden in Christ. That's when I need to be covered and concealed. Not on the days when everything's going well. That's easy. It's easy to have faith when there's money in the bank and the health is good and all my relationships are great and my career's at the best that it is. It's really hard in that day of trouble. It's really hard. And I have faced that day of trouble. And when I did, one of the things that I did is I rewrote Psalm 27.5 as a truth declaration. And I encourage you, if you are feeling desperate, if you are feeling overwhelmed, this is one simple thing you can do today that I promise you will make a difference, is that you turn around and write the scripture out to him, something like, God, you will hide me in the day of shelter, in the day of trouble. You will hide me in your shelter, God. God, I know that you will conceal me under the cover of your tent when life is bad and days are hard. I know you will do this, God, according to your word. You will lift me high. That's, that is a truth declaration. And I can tell you, I wrote it out on my phone and I read it to myself every day for weeks and I didn't believe a single word of it. I didn't believe it. Because every day I woke up and there was something else that was like, are you kidding? Really, God? And so I had to let go of how I was feeling because my feelings are fickle and they don't determine truth. God's word determines truth. And I said that truth declaration day after day after day after day. And I didn't believe it and I didn't believe it and I didn't believe it. And I kept saying it. And you know what? Now I know that I know that I know it is true. He hid me in his shelter in the day of my trouble when everything made me feel like I was gonna drown. He said, oh no. He's not slapping you in the face. God is not out there slapping you in the face. That's probably, some of you have even probably thought, you know, I just feel like God's slapping me in the face. That's not what scripture tells us. Scripture says he's the lifter 
of your head. And so when you think because of circumstances, he's slapping you in the face, no, he's lifting your head. And he said, keep your eyes on me. Look at me. I will hide you in my shelter in your day of trouble. And I think I've taken a lot of comfort from that verse because he's never going to leave us. He is going to hold us. He is never going to release his grip on us. You know, thinking back to this story in Luke chapter eight, I think it's really interesting that Jesus is the one that told him to get in the boat. Don't y'all think that's interesting? I'm pretty sure Jesus knew the storm was coming, right? I mean, we had seen that he had perceived thoughts of men before and he was like, oh, I perceive that you have had this thought. I'm reading your mind. If he can read your mind, I'm pretty sure he can determine whether or not there's gonna be a storm. I mean, usually those things aren't super hard to determine anyway. We kind of know when weather's gonna be bad. I think Jesus knew that. So why would he say, let's get in the boat and go to the other side? Because Jesus wanted the disciples to have their hearts revealed to them. Jesus already knew that they, they weren't certain about whether or not he cared for them. Jesus wanted to reveal that to them so that they could learn to learn how to trust him. I think he led them in that today, in that, that day so that he could know. So are you certain that God wants to intervene in your life? Are you certain that God cares about you? Do you really think God is concerned about the things that concern you? Do you really think that God it has any thoughts about you? Because sometimes we don't think that is true, but it is true. His word tells us that. Before a word was ever formed on your mouth, he knew it full well. He knows our thoughts. He knows the things that concern us and he thinks about those things. I'm not asking, do you believe God? Do you believe in God? I think a lot of us believe God, but do you have confidence in God doing what he says he's gonna do? That's the part of it that's challenging. You know, when the disciples were on the boat and he calmed the storm, they said, who is this? They were amazed. They marveled at him and said, who is this? And that is the question that Jesus wanted to get to with them. Like he wanted them to have to question that. Who is that? And maybe that's you today. And I think there, I mean, we see later in Luke eight, actually, as soon as they get out of the boat, so they go through the storm and they marvel and they say, who is this? The next thing that happens immediately is they get out of the boat. And when they get out of the boat, Jesus encounters a man who's possessed with a demon. And do you know what that demon says to him? Listen to Luke 8, 28. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. You see, this demon knew exactly who Jesus was and he knew what Jesus could do to him. <laughs> he knew with certainty. And I think some of us know who Jesus is but do you really believe he cares about you? Do you really have confidence in that? And that's what's being challenged today. And, and I wish, I so wish I could tell you there was another way for your faith to increase, for you to build a more robust faith. But unfortunately, it takes hardships to really determine our trust and our faith. That is where our faith grows. It's in those moments that are hard, in those seasons that are difficult, in those seasons where there is real danger that we're facing, that is when we discover the depth of our faith. That's when we understand 
okay, do I have kind of a baby faith or do I have a deeper faith trusting who God is? I love that um, Jesus looks at them and he says to them in the middle of them crying out and him rebuking the storm and making it calm. And then he looks at them. He doesn't rebuke them. He doesn't condemn them. So again, if you're here and you think if you start questioning God, he is trying to rebuke you or condemn you or slap you in the face, that is not it. He is asking you a question. He is saying, where is your faith? It's a good question for all of us to ask ourselves. Where is your faith? And he means, where is your confidence? Where is the depth of your faith? Have you placed that in me and me alone? And if you're me and you hear that question, where is your faith? Then I start thinking, okay, well, exactly what does the word faith mean, right? I mean, I told you I'm practical. And so, well, I don't know. What does the word faith mean? I mean, I can look up in Hebrews and say faith is, you know, seeing things, is having hope and things unseen. I get that, but I need practical. And so as I was studying this past week, one of the commentaries I was studying specifically on Luke it says this about faith, it defines it this way, and it's a very practical, pragmatic way, and I like that. That is the kind of mind that I have, and so hopefully this will help you the way it helped me. But this commentator said it this way. He said, faith in Luke is attributed to those who act decisively on the basis of the conviction that God's help is to be found with Jesus and gratefully receive God's action through him. See, that's very practical. So the next question, when you say, where is your faith? You can ask yourself, do I act decisively on the basis of the conviction that God's help is to be found with Jesus Christ and that God's gonna act through him? Do I act decisively on that? Or do I try to help myself? Do I just pull myself up by my bootstraps? Some of us are independent people and we don't even, I don't care if God cares about me because I'm gonna do it on my own. Nobody's ever helped me in the past anyway. So I'm gonna have to do it myself. So I'm just gonna do it myself. You keep doing it yourself long enough and then you're gonna come to the end of yourself and realize I actually can't do this on my own. I do need God and I need to know that he cares about me. But Real faith is acting decisively. So do you put your faith in your own ability to solve your problem? Do you put your faith in hoping that your teenager turns out all right on your ability to parent? <laughs> I'm just saying that one's close to my heart because I have teenagers. Um, do you put your faith in your ability to budget your money properly? Do you put your faith in how well you eat and how much you exercise? Eesh, that one gets me too. <laughs> Where do you place your faith? Or do you put your faith in a God that says, even when your teenager is rejecting everything you're saying to them, you keep doing it. Don't grow weary in doing good because in it you will produce a harvest of righteousness. When you have done everything right and you've eaten the right foods and you've exercised and you still get the diagnosis that your body is failing you and you're only in your mid-30s, early 40s, you know what? Put your faith in a God who is a God who heals when you have tried everything under the sun to save your marriage and you've put your faith in the counselors and everything else, put your faith in a God who says, I bring dead things back to life. I am a God who reconciles, I am a God who renews, and I am a God who restores. That is putting your faith in him when it goes against what you see and what you think. It came in my life um, probably almost 25, gosh, it's probably been 20 about 25 years ago, Chris and I were just starting out in our marriage 
And I'm gonna share this story with you and some of you are gonna be like, really, that's what rocked your faith, girl? <laughs> you know nothing about life. This is not the only thing that rocked my faith. It's just the first time I ever remember not trusting God because I grew up in a very normal family. My mom and dad loved each other. They were married for over 50 years. We went to church together. I grew up loving Jesus. I mean, I grew up in a really, you know, just kind of crazy, normal, nothing bad ever happened to me kind of family. So I had no real reason to trust God until Chris and I were starting out in life together. And so Chris and I um, had gotten married and we were, he was trying to get into med school. And so, um, and, and we already had our life really well planned out. Just to, just to tell you, if you haven't ever heard this story, we met at a high school football game when we were in eighth grade. And he looked across the stadium and he told his friends, hey, you see that girl over there? What's her name? Yeah, I'm gonna marry that girl one day. 25 years later, we're still married. So um, he is a decisive man. He knows what he wants and he plans his future. He's known since he was 15 years old, he wanted to be a doctor and he's been a Clemson fan since birth. So going to USC med school was not an option for him, okay? That just wasn't gonna be an option. We lived in Charleston, lived in Charleston our whole lives. Why would we move to Columbia, you guys? I mean, if, you're, if you lived in Columbia, you're now living here, you know. Why would you live in Columbia? And so... We were applying to med school and he applied to MUSC only because of course he was going to MUSC. We already had it all planned out. Guess what? He didn't get in. <laughs> so the next year he applied again and we're like, well, maybe you should apply to USC as a backup. And you guys, Chris like graduated number two of his high school class, never made below an A in his life. Like he's a brilliant guy. So there's no reason he shouldn't have gotten into med school here. He didn't, he didn't get in. And I remember the devastation I felt. And I know some of you are like, really, that's it? But for me, it was the first time in my life that I was disappointed because God didn't give me what I wanted. And I said, God, what are you doing? Why? Do you not care about me, God? What's the big deal? In the scheme of the universe, letting me stay in Charleston, why would that matter, God? What's gonna go wrong if you let me stay in Charleston? But he was taking me to a place that was unsure and uncertain for me, but he certainly knew what he had in store for me. So we moved to Columbia amidst me crying and screaming and kicking and saying, I don't wanna go. And the first two years were awful. It was hard. Marriage was hard. His school was hard. My job was hard. And then one day, this girl came to me and said, hey, we'd met at church that her husband and Chris were in med school together. She said, I'm starting a Bible study. Do you wanna come? And I thought, you know, she's fun. She's funny. I like her. I'll go to her Bible study. It changed my life forever. It is where I began to understand that even in uncertainty, God has a plan and a good future in store for me. And that developed in a 20 plus year friendship with this girl, that if there is something in me that you're like, man, Stacy said something that impacted me, it's probably because she has said it to me. Like she's been such an encouragement in my faith story. And when I went off, when we went out to Columbia, I had this little baby faith and I didn't know how to trust God. And she taught me what it looks like to have a deeper, more robust faith. And it's been such a blessing to have that friendship over the last 20 plus years. Fast forward to about a month ago. I was in a season for several weeks where life was hard. We were facing some challenges in our family and there were just some difficulties. And I was really just kind of distraught. I mean, I wasn't completely hopeless and completely full of despair, 
but it was definitely creeping in. I mean, I was definitely on the verge of tears just about every day. And I was sitting right there in my office and I was reading a book on spiritual gifts. And I was reading specifically about prophecy. And the author was quoting 1 Corinthians where it tells us that prophecy is a word for comfort, for encouragement, and for building up. And I literally looked up and said, you know what, God? I could use that right now. I need a word of encouragement. God, can you send someone to speak prophetically to me right now? And I am not kidding you guys, but within seconds from this friend of mine that I had not talked to in a couple of months, I got a text that said, hey, this is just a little reminder to inspire, to let you know that you inspire me, you challenge me to be more bold and courageous witness. I love you, have a great day. I mean, he knew 20 plus years ago, when he took me kicking and screaming to Columbia, that this girl was gonna be there to help increase my faith and that she was gonna be used to encourage me multiple times. This is one instance out of dozens where she has spoken encouraging words in my life. And I would have never had that friendship and it changed my life forever because he took me to a difficult, hard time, to a space that was challenging, to a place that I did not want to go. And so maybe you find yourself in that place today where he's leading you in a direction you don't want to go and, or you just don't seem involved at all. And you think that he is asleep, that you are just convinced he is checked out and asleep on the job. That is not true. That is not what God's word tells us. As a matter of fact, Jesus says it very plainly to us. He is um, in John's gospel. He's been healing people on the Sabbath and that's a big no-no if you're Jewish because they don't do anything on the Sabbath. And so the Pharisees are saying, hey man, you got to stop doing all this work. You got to just quit, Jesus. What are you doing? Jesus responds to them, John 5, 17. But Jesus replied, my father is working and is always working and so am I. My father is always working and so am I. You see, we serve a God who never sleeps nor slumbers. He does not fall asleep on the job. He's not asleep at the wheel. He is wide awake. His eyes are on you and his grip is around you. Even if you don't feel it, he is working. I love that I serve a God who is working. Friday night, I was just feeling a little tense and uptight and there were some things going on and I laid down to go to bed and I just said, you know what, God? I am so glad that you are a God who never sleeps, that you will never close your eyes and tonight as I close my eyes and I go to sleep, you will hold everyone that I am concerned about in your hands and you're not gonna let go of them. So I'm gonna go to sleep and I'm gonna let you keep working. When I come to work days and I can't figure something out and I'm struggling with something, I just put my hand over my desk and I'm like, all right, I'm going home. I'm gonna quit working, but I know that you are a God who never stops working and you will work out the details. And time and time again, when I step back and acknowledge that he is still in control and he is working, I see him show up over and over and over again. We serve a God who never sleeps nor slumbers. And if that's something you really need to hold on to, I encourage you in our app, Under the notes section, I've added several verses that I didn't read because I just don't have time today. But I encourage you, go look at those this week when you're facing some of those anxieties and fears and real dangers because I know some of your stories and I know you are in really hard situations. I wanna encourage you, go back and read some of those verses, write them down, turn them into truth declarations, even if you don't believe it. Because remember, our feelings are fickle. 
So I started out by telling you, I wanna help you learn how to trust, to learn how to trust God. And so because I'm practical, I'm gonna give you a few steps to try. So first step, you have to surrender. You have to be willing to call out to God. We see the disciples doing that in the boat. See, when the storm came, these disciples, it ain't their first rodeo. They've been on that lake a whole lot more than Jesus had been on that lake. They grew up on the Sea of Galilee. They grew up fishing. They knew storms. They understood them. And they could have gone to their knowledge of how to handle that storm. They could have said, okay, let's paddle back the other way. Let's jump off and swim to shore. They had a lot of other options, but you know what they chose to do? They called out, master, master, we are perishing. Are you willing to call out and recognize he is master? He is Lord of Lords. He is in control. The first step in learning how to learn to trust God is letting go. The only time you're gonna find real safety for your soul is in surrendering to Jesus Christ. So you have to be willing to do that. Second step's probably a little bit harder because if you're like me, I can call out all day long. And after I call out, then I get up and I start trying to fix things. <laughs> That's just who I am. The second one is fight against your feelings. You are going to feel like, I told you, I read that truth declaration and I did not believe it, but I kept reading it over and over. Fight against your feelings. Because the truth is, God does not withhold good things from his people. Psalm 84, 11 says, for the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. No good thing does he withhold. And you're thinking, yeah, but I'm not walking uprightly. Right, I get it, none of us do that. He means those whose hearts are inclined to him. He's not saying those who are perfect. That's not what walking uprightly is. It's those who are standing on the rock of Jesus Christ. And that may mean you're standing on it. It's because you have just failed miserably. And you're like, okay, God, you gotta pull me up again. Remember, you gotta hide me in the shelter of your wings. You've got to hide me in your tent and you gotta put me up on that rock. That is what walking uprightly is. It's not doing it perfectly. And those people who are putting their life in Jesus Christ are walking uprightly and he's not gonna withhold good from you. I didn't make that up. That's his promise. Same, the same Jesus that does also say, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I've overcome the world. He's overcome what you think you're facing. He has victory in it. And the third one is to remember, this is a process. It's a process. And you may have to do it over and over and over again. But you've got to start with being willing to call out to God, fight against your feelings. Just because you feel a certain way, that does not make it true. And you've got to be willing to remember this is a process. And some days you're gonna do it well, and some days you're not. But guess what? In Hebrews 13, we are told Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is an unchanging God. He never changes. Our circumstances change, our political climate changes, our culture changes, what we think about gender changes, what we think about marriage changes, what we think about life changes, but God never changes. And he is a God who has good things in store from, for you. 
It says in James that every good and perfect gift comes from our Father above. He tells, the, uh, he tells them, you know what? If you who are evil give good gifts to your kids, how much more your heavenly Father will give good gifts to you. I want you to believe today he has good in store for you. He does. I know it's hard to believe that. I understand that I have faced dark days in my life, but I promise you he has good in store for you. Trust him with your future, trust him. We're about to move into this time of expressions. And during this last song, you know, in our minds mentally, we've been in church and we did a few songs up front and then somebody got up and spoke for a while and we're closing out. But I want to challenge you today during this time of expressions, God is speaking to you. Respond to what he said to you today. And maybe for you today, he is asking you, who do you say I am? And if today is a day that you've declared that he's Lord and Christ of your life, I encourage you, meet with our pastors and elders in the back. They wanna pray with you. Or maybe you are just completely lost. Go back there. They want to speak truth declarations over you. If you are desperate to hear from him, I invite you, receive prayer with our pastors and elders in the back. Or maybe for you today, he's asking you to surrender something. Maybe there is something that you've got your grip on so tight and you don't think you'll ever be able to let go of it. And maybe he's saying, take the simple step, write it down and nail it to the cross. There is something about that process that he will honor. If that's all you can do out of obedience today, do that simple step and watch him show up. Or maybe for you today, you are in such a hard season of life and life hurts that you don't feel like you can do anything else. Can I encourage you to stand? Can I encourage you during this song to stand and by your standing, you are agreeing to worship him. That's it. A simple act of standing is saying, I declare, I don't know what's right, but you do know what is true and worship him today. Or maybe today he's inviting you to come up and to partake in communion and to receive the body of Christ and the blood of Christ that was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. We invite you to be a part of that today. Wherever you are today, I want to encourage you. God is speaking, God is moving, and God is wide awake. He never slumbers nor sleeps, and He is inviting you to respond to what He has said today. Father, thank you that you are a God who goes before us and you are a God who stands behind us. Thank you, God, that before a word was ever formed on our lips, you knew it full well. Whether we go to the pit of hell, the deepest place, you are there with us, your word tells us. Or whether we climb to the highest mountaintop, you are there with us, your word tells us that. That you will never release your grip on us, no matter how far we run, that you are with us. You will not leave us, you will not let us drown, you will not forsake us, you will not ignore us. You have good in store for us, Father. Help us to trust you, help us to learn how to accept that we can put our trust in you. Thank you that you are good, Father. Thank you that you love us and that you are for us and you have a hope for us in our future. And thank you that you are reliable. And because of that, Jesus Christ is reliable. And because of that, the good news of Jesus Christ that is for all people of all time is reliable and certain and true. And we stand in that confidence today. In Jesus' name, amen.